Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We are thrilled to have you as we continue in our series together. And I hope uh, in those moments of time where you just had with God and, and, and worship through song, that, that that was from your heart, man, that you worshiped him, that you sang out to him. And we just sang this song about who we believe in and what we believe and what we believe impacts our actions and our decisions and the choices we make. And that's really what we're talking about in this series called Now and Later. We're talking about our choices and our decisions and our actions, which is really based on, hopefully, what it is that we believe. Here's the question we're asking in this series. Who will you be five years from now based on the current trajectory of the decisions and choices that you are making now? And who do you want to be five years from now or five years later? Today, we want to talk about that by looking at a story in the Old Testament. Now, uh, let me give you some quick context for this. Uh, there, there's a prophet named Elijah, and he is this, this great prophet of God. We looked at him this summer uh, in August, and so if you weren't with us, or maybe I would encourage you to go back and, and re-listen to that series or watch that series. But, but God told Elijah his time was coming to an end as being the top prophet, and he was going to die, and God told him, who was going to replace him as the next great prophet of Israel? God said it was going to be a man named Elisha. Now, I got to wonder, did, did, did Elijah pause and say, God, really? I mean, God, really, out of all the people you could have picked, you couldn't pick a Jack or a Bob. You had to pick Elisha. So for the rest of history, people are going to, Elijah, Elisha, Elijah, and people are going to, I just wonder, I bet you Elijah, Elijah, see, I just did it. I bet you Elijah threw that question out to God. Well, we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, and that's where we want to start today. So you can open your Bibles and go to the YouVersion Bible app where we're live there and our notes are in there. 1 Kings chapter 19, and it says this, starting in verse 19, Elijah went and found Elisha. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor, I, I can't go any further until I know, you told me about Elijah, I need to know who's Elisha's dad, because I can't pay attention this morning unless I know who Elisha's dad. Well, good for news for you. The Bible actually tells us who Elisha's dad is. It tells us next, he's the son of Shaphat. And what was Elisha doing? He was plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now, I know that you probably weren't blown away by that last sentence, but you really should have been, because that just told us a piece of information. We just learned that Elisha is extraordinarily wealthy. I mean, it's one thing to have, you know, one ox, but to have 12 pair of oxen in that time meant that you were wealthy, that it meant that you had a huge farm. That means that, that Shaphat Farms, that was the place to be, that was the place to work in, in that day and at that time. And everybody wanted to work for Shaphat and sons, right? You know what I'm saying? So Elisha, he's kind of like the, you know, the Bruce Wayne of Shaphat Enterprises. And his future is set. He's going to be in charge one day. And this is a big deal. It's a huge responsibility. It's a huge uh, 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 responsibility. It's a huge calling to steward so much wealth. And some of you have 
excuse me, some of you have been called or will be called to a similar type of life as Shaphat. You will be a type of person who will be called to be a leader or leaders in business. You will be called to be someone who will be successful, who will produce wealth. And it won't just be for yourself as an end, but it will also be for others so that God can use you to be this incredible blessing to so many others and to do a great deal of good by just giving, being given the opportunity to have wealth and produce wealth. Regardless of the industry, many of you will have it upon you to be like Shaphat. Now let's continue, verse 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, it says this, Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Now, that's a little bit weird because we have no idea if they even knew each other at the time. But I do know this, to Elisha, Elijah was really larger than life. I mean, he's the mightiest of all the mighty miracle workers of God. Elijah did this for a specific reason. He did it because Elisha was out there and he was extremely cold and needed to be warmed up. No, that's not really what happened. He did this because there was huge uh, symbolism in this gesture. This was Elijah saying to Elisha, if you follow me, if you come and learn from me, if you will be my disciple, then you too one day could be like me. This would be kind of like, you know, maybe like a Jedi walking up to someone, handing them a lightsaber and saying, you want to be a Jedi? And so it's that kind of concept. And so Elisha said, verse 20, first let me go and kiss my father and mother. Notice what it says. Let me, let me kiss him goodbye. He understands what's going on here. And then I will go with you. Think about this for a moment. This is Elisha getting ready to potentially walk away, you know, from Wayne Manor, from Shaphat Enterprises. He's getting ready to walk away from this life that he knew, he knows, this life that he loves. He's getting ready to walk away from a future that is set and a future that is secure. And he's getting ready to say goodbye to his family, to follow Elijah. He knew what was going on here. Sure, Elijah... He's a mighty man of God and a mighty prophet. But there's a lot that comes with being a prophet. Sure, you'll do miracles and you'll do mighty works for God, but there's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of opposition to being a, a, a prophet. It's not necessarily an easy life. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 20, Elijah replied, go ahead, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. In other words, I really want you to know what you are getting into before you walk away from your family. In New Testament language, Jesus said it this way. He said, for those who want to come, for those who want to come to me, they must say no to the things that they want, pick up their crosses and follow me. I just wonder, have you and I, have, have we really counted the cost of following Jesus? I mean, a lot of you, a lot of us, a lot of people, they say yes to Jesus because we get all the great benefits, right? We get forgiven of our sins, which means we will have eternal life with the, in, in, in the presence of our heavenly Father for eternity. It means our life on earth will have purpose and meaning and fulfillment. 
And we even think that, you know, giving our life to God, that means God's going to be there for us. and He's going to help us out. And some of us even go to the point of saying that means God's going to make us safe and God's going to give us security and that God's going to give us a great life. But it doesn't always work out quite like that. In fact, it usually doesn't. Yes, Jesus will make your life better and he'll make you better at life. But hardship and opposition also awaits us. Because when we choose to set aside our will for his will and his ways, there's a lot that comes with that. And there is opposition. And there is hardship that will come to us. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He understood what he was doing here. He used the wood from the plow to burn a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. In other words, Elisha does know and understand the magnitude of his choices and decisions right now. He understands. Why do we know that? Because he just killed these animals. He made this bonfire, and he ate what just moments ago represented his life and his future life. And I want you to notice in that verse, this wasn't some kind of secret ceremony. Hey, okay, Elijah, I'll follow, Elijah, I'll follow you, but, but let's just keep it on the down low. No, 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 no. He invited the whole town to hear. I mean, this is Shaphat and Son Enterprises, right? So, I mean, they employ a lot of people. And so he invited the whole town to let everyone know, I'm walking away from my current life now for a better life later. So he follows Elijah and he becomes his servant or his assistant. How long did he do this for? Well, the Bible tells us. You ready for this? 18 years. He was his assistant for 18 years. And the Bible tells us what he did for 18 years. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11 says this. Elisha poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's all we get for 18 years. He's Elijah's assistant. He was basically Elijah's human hand sanitizer. That's all he, he washed his hands. He served him. I just wonder, how many times during those 18 years did Elisha pause and reflect and think about his life at Shaphat Farms, at Shaphat Enterprises, about all that he had walked away from? He was the heir. He had a good life. He had a secure life. He had a predictable life. He had a safe life. He had a wealthy life. And now for 18 years, he's been living in obscurity. 18 years simply washing another man's hands, which is to say simply saying that he was a servant to somebody else. Just pouring water on another dude's hands. Well, after 18 years of washing Elijah's hands, we come to a defining moment in both of their lives. Second Kings chapter two, verse seven. And it says this, it says, Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together. This is the same one that he put on Elisha's shoulder some 18 years earlier. And he struck the water with it. The ri river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. Incredible. Now notice what comes next. Verse 9. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do before, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. Hey, Elisha, you've been a 
good servant for 18 years. I mean, nobody washes hands better than you, right? I mean, out of all the hand washers in the world, you have been the best. So I want to give you something. What is it that you want me to do for you? Verse 9, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. Elisha replied, let, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Say double share. Say that wherever you are. Say double share. He says, I want a double share. Now, I got to tell you, I love that boldness. And I hope, I pray that that is your spirit as well. That as you look at some of the great things that God has done in the past in other people's lives, and I hope even in your own life, that you, I hope that as you are looking towards your future and as you are hoping for what God can do in your life, that you are boldly asking God to do twice as much as he has done in the past. I hope you're praying that over your kids. I hope you're praying that over your grandkids. I hope you're praying that over your marriage and your business and your faith in God. I hope you're saying, God, I've seen you do great things in the past and I'm asking for a double portion moving forward. I hope you're praying that for your church. That you're sitting here and you're praying for your church and saying, God, I've seen what you've done at LifePoint. And God, I'm praying in the future, in the coming days, that you will do twice as much and that you will work twice as powerfully. I want to see you, God, do even more. Listen, God's not offended by that. In fact, the reality is that's what God wants. He's looking for people to say, yes, thank you, finally, someone filled with great faith. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 tells it this way. It says, God wants to do, say that word do. God wants to do. God wants to do. What does he want to do? He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, and immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or even imagine or come up with. In other words, God is looking for faith-filled people. God is looking for people who say, I want a double portion of your spirit, God. I want to see you do, you've done great things, but I want to see you do even greater things in the future. God is looking for those type of people to bless. He really is. Don't you want to be one of those type of people? See, the biggest problem with praying small prayers is that you might just get what you ask for. And all along, God has been wishing and waiting for you to ask for something bigger. He wants to give you more, but he's like, okay, if that's all you're going to ask for, am I right? I can do that. That's easy. God is looking for you to be bold and courageous and step out and to ask for a double portion. Elijah, he knows this is a bold request. He's done much, including 14 miracles. And so he's uh, thinking about this. I want you to look at his response. He says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, you've asked a difficult thing. I mean, we're talking uh, 14, times time, 14 miracles times two. That's 28 miracles. Elijah, do you realize I've done some pretty amazing miracles? God's used me to do amazing miracles. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, 2 Kings 2, verse 10, Elijah replied, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. I'm going to heaven real soon, Elijah is saying. And if you see it happen, then you can count on it, that you'll be doing 28 mighty miracles. Now, of course, neither of them knew what God had in store next. But I guarantee this, 
After hearing that, Elisha was like, there is no way in the world, Elijah, I am leaving your side. I'm going to be locked right with you from, the, from now till the moment you go to be with the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11 says this, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Of course he was, because isn't that how everybody goes to heaven, right? No, no, not really. I think a lot of us, you know, uh, we pray and we're like, man, you know what I wish? I hope one day when it's my time to go be with the Lord, I hope I just, you know, pass peacefully in my sleep. I'm sure you've said something like that before, right? I got to tell you, that's not what I've been hoping for. That's not what I've been praying for. You know what I'm praying for? If Elisha can ask to do 28 miracles, you know what I'm praying for? I'm asking for horses of fire, a chariot on fire with charioteers to come down to pick me up and to take me up to heaven. That's what I'm asking for. How about, let's go for it, right? Let's together, let's be asking for that. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Why? Because he was heartbroken that his friend, that his mentor, that even calls him his father, that he was actually gone. And so Elijah is grieving in this moment, and, and in that culture, tearing your clothes was a sign of just a tremendous amount of grief. But then we get a very interesting detail next in verse 13. It says, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. So I want you to try to imagine this. You have this whirlwind happen, and you have this, this chariot of fire, and these horses on fire, and these charioteers, and it comes down, and it swoops in, and it picks up Elijah, and it heads back off up into heaven, and as he's looking up in the sky and in the clouds, all of a sudden, he sees something, and he's like, what is that? And he sees something just kind of floating down, and as it gets closer and closer, he's like, is that, is that, man, is that? And then it lands on the ground. He's like, oh my goodness, that's Elijah's cloak. The same cloak that Elijah had put on Elisha at Shaphat Farms 18 years ago. In other words, Elisha, it's your turn. In other words, Elisha, what you asked for, that's going to be granted. There's no more washing other people's hands. God is now going to use your hands to do mighty miracles on behalf of the Lord. Now, it didn't take long for the very first miracle. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 13 says, Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with, notice with what? With Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where's the Lord, the God of Israel? Then the river divided, just like it did for Elisha. The river divided. And Elisha went across. This is an incredible story. And it speaks to your life and it speaks to my life as we think about this idea of getting to where we want to be later. Of who we want to be later. Remember, we're really talking about change. And I know sometimes that could be a taboo word for some of us, but that's what we're talking about. Changing now what we are and what we're doing now so we can become who we want to be later. So, what do I see from this story? I see a couple things. First, in order for you and I to change, 
it is going to take drastic action. Say drastic action. It's going to take drastic action. I mean, Elisha took drastic action when he lit his 24 horsepower, I mean, 24 oxen Tesla on fire. And he burned that up and he closed up shop and he ate with his friends. That was drastic I mean, that's full-on ripped from the pages of the Spanish conquistador uh, uh, Cortez back in 1519 when he had all his men line up on the shore as they watched all of their ships burn. Now, uh, Cortez did a lot of bad things, but, but one thing I love about the guy was this determination, was this resolve to say, we may succeed, we may fail, but we are not going back. There will be no retreat. In order for you and I to become who we want to be later, drastic action is called for now. In the beginning, that there would be no retreat. Now, why is drastic action now so necessary? Why is it so necessary in the beginning? Well, let's think about dominoes for a second. Have you ever played dominoes? Uh, um, You know, where you set them all up and and, and then you know they're going to eventually all come down. Well, how does that happen? They will sit like that forever, set up. Unless something happens, unless there's drastic action, unless, uh, until someone comes in and pushes over the first domino. But until that drastic action happens, those dominoes will sit there forever. Think about a pile of wood. I mean, you could have uh, this pile of wood. You can put kindling on it. You can put uh, a paper on it, and, and you could do a whole lot of stuff to it. But that pile of wood will still be just a pile of wood. Nothing will happen to it. It will never burn unless what? Unless you take drastic action. Unless you light a spark and a spark, lighting a spark to get that fire going, that's drastic action. It takes drastic action for you and I to overcome the status quo of whatever is currently occurring. It takes drastic action to overcome inertia. Does anybody remember what inertia is? Uh, Maybe from back from your physics class or or, or science class. Remember Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton and his laws of motion? His first law of motion, which is described as inertia, does anybody remember what it says? What does it say? It, It says this, an object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an external force. In other words, by drastic action. The point is this. The point is that everything in the universe wants to keep doing exactly what it's doing right now. It doesn't want to change. Everything is resistant to change or to the current state. And we call that inertia. The word, interesting, the word inertia, I I won't try to say the Latin word, it's basically a form of inertia. It comes from the Latin word, which means inactive, or idle, you ready for this one, or lazy. Our default position is to stay where we're at. Our default is not to move. It's not to change because the first law of motion states that everything in the universe is lazy. Everything is idle. Now, don't look at the person next to you right now. I highly suggest you keep looking straight ahead. Don't as you think about that sentence. And if everything is idle... And if no drastic action is taken, I want you to think about this. Five years from now, 
wherever you are right now, whatever, wherever you're sitting, whether you're on a couch, recliner, a chair, wherever you're sitting right now, five years from now or a thousand years from now, you will still be sitting in that couch, recliner, or chair unless drastic action is taken. You'll still be sitting there. Think about this. It takes drastic action to take that food that you really don't want to eat and toss it in the trash. I've done all sorts of ideas and things when, when I kind of like, ah, oh, that's it, I gotta, uh, it's over, you know, starting today, not starting tomorrow, I got to get my act together physically. There are times I can remember, I've literally taken food, I've been so disgusted with myself, I've taken food, I've tossed it in the trash, maybe you've done that, and, and, and when I've done that, by the way, there's been times when I'm like, you know what, two hours later, what do I do? I'm like, oh, I want that food. You know, and you kind of go over to the trash. So then I learned, okay, that's not working out so well. So then I take the food and take it to the trash. But then I take a whole bunch of salt and water and I get it wet and I dump a bunch of salt on it because I was like, this is the only thing that's going to help me. (laughs) All right, yes, I'm a little nuts. It takes drastic action to delete some numbers from your phone because those individuals are so dysfunctional, they're not helping your life. It takes drastic action action for you to take a step where you say, you know what? What I'm doing right now is not good for my relationship with the Lord. And I need to end that. And I need to remove that from my life. And I need to get rid of that from my life because God wants something better for me. It takes drastic action if you're married to turn to your spouse and say, hey, things aren't right with us. And it's time to get right. And we're not moving from where we're at, what we're doing. We're not doing moving until we talk about this. It takes drastic action to have that conversation. It takes drastic action to say the time for half measures is over. Otherwise, five years from now, later, you're just an older version of who you are right now. It takes drastic action. There's a second step we see in this story, in Elisha's story, and what it takes to change is not just drastic action, but it also takes steady progression, steady progression. Drastic action, that's what knocks over that first domino. Drastic action is what gets that spark to eventually light that fire. But then what do we do? Just steady progression, steady It doesn't look like anything's even happening, but just consistent progression. Just pouring water, pouring water on hands, pouring water on hands over and over and over and getting a little better at it and a little better at it. 18 years of consistency, slow and steady and consistent. The Greek philosopher Epictetus said it this way. He said, no great thing is created suddenly any more than a fig. If you tell me that you desire a fig, I answer you and tell you there must be time. Say the word time. There must be time. Let it blossom first, then bear fruit, and then ripen. Listen, whatever change that you want, that's dramatic or sudden or instant, listen to this, if it's instantly visible, it is likely not long-term sustainable. If whatever dramatic action is taken that it's instantly visible, it's likely not long-term sustainable. God always works in sowing and reaping seasons. What does the Bible say, Galatians chapter six? You will always harvest what you plant. 
The harvest is always later. There's no instant gratification or instant results with God's economy. It's slow and steady. And by the way, that's what's sustainable. And by the way, that's also really a a definition of faith. Slow, consistent, steady, over and over and over. Darren Hardy in his book, The Compound Effect, put it this way. He said, it's time someone told told it to you straight. You've been bamboozled for too long. There's no magic bullet, no secret formula, or quick fix. You don't make 200 grand a year spending two hours a day on the internet, or lose 30 pounds in a week, or rub 20 years off your face with a cream, or fix your life with a pill, or find lasting success with any other scheme that is too good to be true. It'd be great if you could buy your success, fame, self-esteem, good relationships, and health in a nicely clamshelled package at the local Walmart, but that's just not how it works. What's it going to take? It's going to take day in, day out, slow, steady progression. Keep sowing, keep watering, keep planting, keep being involved and connected with other people. Get in a life group and stay connected. Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep making good and wise decisions every day. Keep being thankful and praising God every single day. It takes the right things now and consistently done over time to get you where you want to be later. John Maxwell put it this way. He said, improvement doesn't happen in a day, but it must happen daily. Elisha washed hands faithfully, daily, for 18 years, slow, steady, consistent. And when you do that, when you and I have our drastic action that is followed up by steady progression, then we get to enjoy momentum. Say momentum. We get to enjoy momentum. Elisha's life, Elisha's life, he took drastic action as he killed those cows and he burned those plows. But then he followed that up with steady progression. He served Elijah faithfully 18 years, washing hands, day in, day out, day in, day out. And now he has Elijah's coat. And now he's ready to do his miracles. And he does the first miracle, which eventually leads to 27 other miracles. He gets this momentum. Inertia is a double-edged sword, right? Remember we mentioned uh, Isaac Newton, right? That objects at rest stay at rest. Well, what's the second part of that? That objects in motion stay in motion and do so in a straight line. Uh, You see that with uh, SpaceX, right? Uh, You got the Falcon 9 or the Falcon Heavy, and and it's interesting. They use more fuel in those first couple moments. They use more fuel in those first couple moments to get that rocket off the ground than they do in the rest of the trip. Why? Because it takes drastic action to break free of what's been holding that object at rest. It needs the drastic action to get it in motion, and eventually, that because those rockets become an object in motion. Now, here's what's interesting: if there wasn't friction out in the vacuum of space, a Falcon 9 or or the Tesla Roadster that just, by the way, back in October passed Mars. Uh, uh, back in October, a Falcon rocket or the Roadster or anything else for that matter, it would never stop until it 
you know, there's no friction until it hit a, you know, a, a comet or a planet or, or, or a star. It would just keep going. Why? Because an object that was at rest turned into motion, that thing will remain in motion. Listen, to get off the ground, to get things rolling in your life, it does take drastic action. And drastic action in your life, it can be unbearable at first, but once you do that, once the drastic action is taken, then it only takes steady progression. Day in, day out, day in, day out. And that eventually produces momentum. And once you get to the place where you are enjoying momentum, it's incredible. In whatever aspect of your life, some of you, it's easy to read your Bible every single day. Why? Because now you're just enjoying momentum. You can't imagine not reading your Bible. For some of you, it's easy to work out every day. It's not even hard for you anymore. Why? Because you took the drastic action. It's been slow and steady, and so now it's just part of your life. Whatever it is, some of you are doing things right now. You already know what it's like to experience that momentum. James Clear said, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. So I want to ask you, what actions are you taking right now? because that's a vote for who you want to become. For some of you, right now, there needs to be some action that's dramatic action, that's drastic action that you need to take to become the type of person that you want to be later. What action do you need to take? What action do you need to take to be consistent in so that you can become the person that God wants you to be later? Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and offer our hearts to you knowing, God, that it takes drastic action today to become the person we want to be later. And for some of us, that action is just a slow and steady action so that we can be the type of person we wish to be. So right now, is I hope your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, so you can focus, you can concentrate. I'm going to invite you to pray and to talk to God about the action he's calling you to take and you're sensing. For some of you, for some of you, today's the day where it's time to give your life to Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. For some of you, it's t- your drastic action is, I, I want to be baptized. And you haven't taken that step yet. For some of you, it's, I need to join a life group and get connected with other people. For some of you, it's, you know what? Your drastic action is you need to get off social media. It's only harming you. It's not helping your life. And frankly, for some of you, it's just being, you're just being a bad witness by being on social media, by the things you say and the things you like and the comments you make. For some of you, your drastic action is putting the Bible app as your sole app on your home screen because you're like, that's the first thing I'm going to do before I do anything else. For some of you, your drastic action might be put a Bible on your desk. For some of you, it's taking a, sending a text to somebody about a conversation you need to have. Some of you start a family night or a date night. For some of you, it's time to repent of a sin or sins that you know are weighing you down. And as I mentioned, some of you, it's time to give your life to Jesus. Drastic action and Jesus will change your life. Will you talk to him about that now? God, hear each of these prayers. And whatever it is for you, will you take that before him now? Ask him to give you the strength to take the action and then to progress slowly each and every day so that you can enjoy momentum. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you know today your drastic action is to surrender your life just like Elijah did, say, it's no longer my will, 
God, it's your will and your way. If that's you, would you pray with me right now? God would love you to join his family. And if that's you, just say something like this. Jesus, in faith, I come before you now and I surrender my life to you. And I choose to no longer live, but to live for you and your will and your way. So as best as I know how, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me an opportunity to have life and to experience life to the fullest. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. God, hear each and every one of these prayers. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.